Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornchai. Today, we have a topic that has been the talk of social media for a few weeks now, not just all of the social media uh, platforms, but it's also been in multiple national newspapers. Um, And so it's not just the Christian community talking about it. Unfortunately, uh, it is the broader community talking about it, too. And it's ironic because um, this comes after the statement from the SBC that the world is watching. Yeah, it, it does. So that that was a very controversial statement because the question is, what what do you mean by that, that the world is watching? And, and the implication being that we don't want to do something that's going to offend them. Um, and then the um, really the news kind of broke out uh, with the Romans 1 message uh, that uh, Ed Litton had uh, taken from J.D. Greer, supposedly with uh, permission. Um, but then there was also questions about whether J.D. Greer even wrote that sermon. Um, and, uh, and then one of the newspapers picked it up. And, and it was more than just Romans 1, as I understood. There were um, at least, um, that I know of, there was at least another message that uh, that he had taken uh, right from J.D. Greer. And we know that he took down a number of messages, messages from the Book of Romans, um, or at least made them private uh, so that people couldn't uh, access them on the website, which um, caused a lot of people to um, question whether he preached anything that was original from that book. I'm not saying he didn't. Just saying that that was the question that was out there. But when the newspaper ran that article and titled it Sermon Gate, uh, well, it brought new meaning to the world is watching. Indeed, the world is watching, but it's not necessarily watching what they thought it was going to be watching. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you know, so that, that'll probably be the topic of our podcast when I listed as Sermon Gate. But, um, <laughs> it, it, you know, I guess l- let us just kind of start off and because immediately people will, before we even get into it, uh, you know, associate with two two directions we could go in. All, all, already, they're thinking, "Man, these guys are just going to bash Ed Litton," um, or, or they're thinking, you know, in a negative way, or they're thinking they're going to bash Ed Litton in what they perceive to be a good way. <laughs> well, we're not going to do either one of those things, um, right? And I think this is one of those areas where we have to speak the truth in love. We need to talk about it, um, and and especially as time has gone on, what we have discovered. Um, if you didn't already know, is that he isn't the only one um, that's mm. using the research and work of others. And of course, now I'm refer- referring to the research group Docent. Uh, I think that's how you say I wasn't even aware of that group previously. Um, but I have known, um, you know, Southern Baptist preachers. Uh, I mean, that's just the ones I've known. Multiple of them I've met throughout the years who copied sermons. They just printed sermons from the web from a website. And mm-hmm. read them from the pulpit. Um, so I have been aware of some of that going on, but it seems like if you look at uh, Docent's own claim at how many people they are uh, affect, I think was the term they use. It was over a million. Um, yeah. How it, it, there's no church that large. So how many pastors are right. using the work of other people? How many churches aren't being really shepherded by their own shepherd? Um, it, it's something we should talk about. Yeah, I think that is a big concern. And, and just to talk about Docent Research, Research Group, and, and I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it as well. Um, I, 
also did not know about this group until news started to come out of this. But uh, we saw endorsements from people like uh, J.D. Greer and Matt Chandler as well, who had endorsed this group. Now, the advertisements themselves, at least uh, from what I read on those endorsements, was that this was a research group that didn't necessarily write your sermons for you or execute the passage, but they would do research um, right. on maybe background stuff, uh, maybe polls or something like that that might help provide um, additional um, material that you can use for illustrations, uh, illustration purposes, or maybe just background uh, research purposes. So that that's the way it was advertised as. And um, and if it were just that, um, I, I could I, I could see the value of that, though. I, I, I still would feel kind of hesitant about using a group to, to do that. Um, but what we started to find out later was that, as you mentioned, uh, there were completely written sermons that were being made available. And these weren't so it's not like they're taking examples of like John MacArthur's sermons and say, here's some samples of how this passage is is, is preached, because um, I do that. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to or read mm-hmm. sermons from various passages just to get an idea of what um, how other people preached it. But I won't copy it. Yeah. Um, but in this case, the fully written sermons were not sermons that uh, were preached by a certain preacher, but actually put together, it, it appeared, by a docent research group. And the idea is that, hey, if you want to, just take this and, and, uh, and go ahead and preach it. And and that is a big problem. That's that's a major issue. Now let me let's for a moment portray what some of the defenders are saying. So so the people who are defending docent research group are saying, well, you know, all basically the argument is that all truth is God's truth, and anything that um, has to do with biblical realities doesn't belong to a preacher, but it belongs to the kingdom. It belongs to God. So mm-hmm. it's not really plagiarism. And, and some would also argue that, you know, you and I, we are influenced by a myriad of theologians and, and pastors, and, uh, and and we may directly quote them, or at times we're taking ideas that we learn from them and, and kind of giving them out um, in our own words. And we often mm-hmm. say that, hey, when when I'm talking to a brand new preacher, someone who's uh, new to preaching, I'll often tell them, I say, don't stray far from the paths of faithful people. Um, don't come up with something brand new. Don't Don't try to get overly creative. Um, just preach a passage faithfully and and do it in a way that is consistent with um, a prior men of the faith, unless you yeah. have really, really strong reason not to. So th- I think those would be some of the arguments um, for this, that, well, we do this in, in that kind of way, but there is a difference between us going through a lot of material and then internalizing it and thinking through how we're going to teach or preach something versus having just another group or another person just completely create that message for us. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, I think the more important discussion and what we've seen is, you know, a lot of pastors who have been defending this kind of thing, I, I think, you know, just like the, the lockdowns kind of um, gave us an understanding of how poor our ecclesiology was. And I think this has given us a really good understanding of how poor um, we understand pastoral role, right? What the purpose and yeah. function of a pastor is. Um, it, it's, it's sad to see so many pastors defending what's going on. And so, you know, we can talk about plagiarism. And, and of course, if we, if, if we want to go to the other side, they might say, well, you know, that's a Western context. Uh, you know, I, I even heard, well, some utterly ridiculous, uh, even professors at some of the seminaries, trying to uh, put plagiarism on Charles Spurgeon um, as a yeah. way to excuse. Uh, that's absurd. Um, it, it, if you believe that nonsense, you can go to Phil Johnson's Twitter. He had an entire thread of just a whole bunch of 
um, stuff that Spurgeon said, speaking out against that very thing. Um, and, and so, but the, the big problem for me is it abdicates the primary function and role of a pastor, right? Um, if you're, if you're too busy to do your own sermon prep work, you're too busy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And in addition to being too busy, uh, you've got your priorities in the wrong place, right? So, you know, a lot of times people treat churches now as um, corporations and the pastor is seen more like a CEO. And yeah. as a CEO, you're more managing the business. Um, you are um, assigning tasks and, uh, and and making public appearances. And, you know, you're, you're just kind of managing a company to make sure that, uh, that, that you're managing what's coming in, what's going out and the services you provide and all that. Well, yeah. th that's not the mindset of, of a shepherd, of a pastor. Uh, a shepherd is one who, and I think about the end of the book of John, you know, when uh, Jesus talked to Peter and asked him three times, do you love me? And uh, yeah. Peter each time said yes. And, and Jesus said, well, tend, tend my lambs, tend my sheep, you, you know, watch over them. And, and really the idea there being that, hey, my flock of God is out there. And unlike the Old Testament, where we saw numerous condemnations against the shepherds who did not shepherd the flock, um, the difference with the new covenant is that God has raised up faithful shepherds to do so. And, and that is our call. We are called to shepherd the flock. And we shepherd the flock first and foremost by walking in the manner by which we are calling them to walk. And so I think of 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, when Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, mm -hmm. if we are to imitate Christ, uh, we are to remember that Christ said, Matthew 4.4, 4, man shall not live on bread alone, but upon every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so we need to be in the word of God. We need to be soaking our hearts in the word of God. But not only that, but as the shepherds, we should know our flock better than any other shepherds outside the church. And knowing our flock, we know what it is that they need spiritually. And so we go to a passage and, and we have to really think upon um, why, first, why is this important, period? But why is this important specifically to my flock based upon what I know that they're, they're going through? Um, and and those, that's the job of a shepherd. And so when you take a message um, that was written by someone else, created for a separate occasion, you're, you're not truly shepherding your flock. You're basically just saying, hey, listen to this message. And, and even worse, you know, we're, we're just performing it. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're, you're just kind of performing a script. And in the case that, that we saw with, with Ed Litton and, uh, and, and J.D. Greer, I mean, Ed Litton, clearly um, a gifted communicator. And, uh, and, and so he, he, he really spoke the message that he had well. Now, I don't think the message itself was good, but he spoke it well. Um, and, and, and so you're, you're more of a performer than, than someone that has created this yeah. message out of what you know is the heart need of your congregation. Yeah, I, I think it brings up the very valid question, you know, does that church have a shepherd or do they have a hireling? You know, and, and yeah. I, I'm not saying he is that, but it is a valid question that should be being asked, um, at yeah. least amongst those in, in his own church. And, you know, I don't know Ed Litton. Uh, I don't have anything disparaging to say other than, um, you know, I think it's quite clear he's been deceptive in his communication regarding this. Um, it's undeniable that he's copied the material, uh, huge parts of it, word for word. And, uh, you know, there's an added layer of mistrust that you create when just a hundred sermons or so disappear from your website. Right. Um, yeah. And 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 then I think, OK, so I, I if I remember correctly, the response was something to the effect of, well, 
we don't want anyone, um, it, you know, underhandedly taking these other sermons out of context and using them against our pastor. That's just not the sort of thing you do when you have integrity and you know that the work that you've done is your own, right? Um, it, it, that's just not the sort of thing that that you would do. And so it creates a level of questioning that's legitimate. Um, it, you know, if I had a, a hundred sermons, you know, if you go to, we post our sermons on, on the website, there's just a handful of them because, you know, we've only been up and running for a few months. Um, you'll find quotes from, you know, John MacArthur, you'll find quotes from John Bunyan, you'll find quotes from Spurgeon. Um, and, and I quote those things. You'll find similarities. Uh, if, if I preach in Jude and you listen to some sermons that you've preached in Jude, you listen to some sermons that, um, you know, John MacArthur and uh, pick 10 other guys who are, are understand the scriptures, you'll find a lot of similarities, right? Because the, the yeah. message doesn't change. Uh, but what you'll find um, is that there will be some things added in those sermons that are unique to our congregations more than likely uh, yeah. right throughout their right. sermon series. Um, and and so so it's not that we don't glean wisdom from other people, like you've said. Um, but if that's all you've been doing and you've been attributing the work rightfully uh, when you're quoting and things like that, you would have no need to pull all of your sermons down. Right. Right. Um, and so that's concerning. And so I think um, if uh, I don't know if you listen to a, a podcast that uh, founders did on the issue sometime back, it, it was actually really good. And, you know, one of the things that um, they said that was a really good point was, you know, we're bringing this up and we need to address it because that's how we love Ed Litton as a brother and how we love his church, right? Is to deal with that issue. Um, there's definitely deception there, uh, which is un unbefitting for a pastor, right? Um, and just a lot of other stuff. And so I, I thought it's just a good opportunity to go back to the word of God and say, what is the pastor's role? Should we be doing these things? Is it contextual or is it not? So we, we can talk about whether plagiarism is a Western contextual thing. I, I'd argue that it never has been because presenting someone else's work as your own is stealing, right? I, yeah. I mean, it's just breaking one of the Ten Commandments. You're, you're stealing someone else's work. Yeah, and, and I think that was the most uh, disappointing part. So when we think about um, all that has happened, I mean, I, I agree with you. You're, you're right. You know, we we want to give credit where credit is due. And in the case of these uh, two sermons, you know, Ed Litton first, um, he came clean on that Romans one passage um, saying, yes, he got it from J.D. Greer and he got his permission. And then what brought up the question of where J.D. Greer got it is that he even used an analogy, but attributed it to Paul Tripp and J.D. Greer attributed it to himself and then later had to come out and say, well, he basically took ownership of it because he had been a missionary in Asia and had experienced many of the same things. And then that was before we found out about docent research group, right? So maybe it came from docent research group. Um, but I, I agree with you. You know, we, with this congregation, and, and I talked to my own congregation a couple of Sundays ago, and I asked them the question. I even tweeted about this. Um, I asked them, if you had found out that I had um, basically plagiarized messages from another pastor, um, what would you say? And um, everyone who was there, and, and this was an evening service, so we had a smaller group. It was probably about uh, 30, 40 people. Um, but the, the answers were all one-sided. And the first response that came back was, um, I'd feel cheated. I'd feel cheated mm -hmm. if we found out that, uh, that you were stealing someone else's messages. And then someone else said, well, you're not 
I would feel like you're not preaching a sermon for us. You're, you're basically taking someone else's sermon, but mm. that sermon wasn't meant for us. And someone else would say, someone else said that um, I would say that you're being lazy. And another person uh, would say that you're not in the word of God. Um, you're not doing your job. You know, so there wasn't a single person that said it would be okay. Now, later, there was one person that did comment that said, well, it depends on, on the sermon if you had uh, permission. But for the most part, the vast majority, yeah. um, I think, had that kind of reaction. And all that to say that at my church, if I had pulled that off, um, I think they would be asking me to leave um, just yeah. based upon those responses. Um, and, and I think the, the reason, when I think about it, that the reason is quite obvious. I mean, first, and, and they had no background on this, so they weren't following the SBC situation. They didn't know that this was going on. Um, but I think first and foremost, when you listen to someone speak, and, and they're speaking with conviction from the passage they're, they're preaching, you take you're assuming that that person has studied that passage and has developed those convictions and mm -hmm. that he's not simply just speaking someone else's words but the other thing too and i th i would say that this is going to be true for your congregation is true for my congregation i am emphasizing to my congregation every single week how important it is to be in the word of god to be in the word of god to be growing in their knowledge and growing in their understanding of jesus christ and who he was and and all these um and all the letters understanding how the commandments of Jesus Christ were applied in the various mm -hmm. church epistles and the rest of the New Testament. And, and then what is the message, if I keep emphasizing that, and then the message comes out that, oh, by the way, the message I'm giving you is just copied from someone else. Well, if I'm not yeah. even doing what I'm calling them to do, um, you know, what good am I? Now, some might say, well, maybe I am doing my own Bible study, but I'm still taking someone else's messages. Well, if you're doing your own Bible study as a preacher, it's expected that you would be able to come up with a message that's going to feed your flock. Um, so, yeah, there there are serious questions here, and it's not nothing personal. I don't know Ed Lynn directly. I've heard wonderful things about him from people that that know him, though we we also did know, we found out uh, shortly before the um, the annual meeting, that he also had done some sort of um, sermon series with his wife. Yeah. So he preached up front with his wife, and then at the end of that series, um, he, he, his wife, him or his wife said that's the last message that his wife will give. But still, they did an entire um, series on that. And for me, I I could never imagine asking my wife to come up to the podium with me to, to preach. And yeah. I know what my wife's response would be. She would absolutely um, be against it because it would be her conviction that she shouldn't be doing that. So I think there's a number uh, of questions and, and issues involved here. And, you know, we, we got to pray for their church and uh, and, and hope that um, that the Lord will will provide for them. And, uh, and, and I think it would have been just easier for Ed Litton from the very beginning to just, uh, you know, fess up to everything that, that has happened. And yeah. I don't know the extent of it, um, but it sure looks, um, it just doesn't look good when you're taking down all your messages like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, and that's a good point. You know, again, we're not trying to attack Ed Litton, but look, this is, we're called to guard the church. You know, we're, we're called to address these things um, amongst ourselves as fellow brothers and sisters. You know, you, you guys aren't in the SBC as a church. Um, and yet, you know, this has an impact on, well, the very thing the SBC was concerned about, the world watching. And and so now the president of the SBC is basically viewed as a thief. Um, you know, it's not and an unrepentant one, because even the world knows that plagiarism is wrong. And and so you can argue. And so if you want to argue against the plagiarism thing, I mean, again, I think one, he passed it off as his own material um, that that's beyond just what you think about plagiarism being right or wrong. It's stealing, right? It, that's an integrity issue. Yeah. And so here's the problem uh, with Ed Litton specifically. 
Um, I have no reason to doubt that he's, you know, a, a fellow brother in Christ. Um, but when we sin, and especially when pastors and leaders sin publicly like this, it has to be dealt with because we love one, our brother, and two, we love, uh, you know, the church and truth. Um, yeah. it, he has a history of displayed integrity issues. Uh, you mentioned another one before, you know, he says he's complimentarian. Uh, they never have a woman to preach, but yet they have. And in fact, it was a five or seven series. And if I understand correctly, that wasn't even the only time. That's an integrity issue. Um, if you want to be the most gracious you possibly could be, you could say maybe he forgot they did that, uh, although I don't think that's the case. Um, and, and so now you're just seeing a long history, right, of not preaching his own, at least not doing all the work yeah. of his own sermons. Um, there's just been, you know, just either flat out lying or just utter and total carelessness um, in, in remembering what, you, what you're doing. But, and, and so at this stage, it's right to say, well, you know, uh, it, it, if, you know Ed, if you know Ed personally and, and you're not confronting him lovingly and, and, you know, pursuing a public repentance, then you're not really loving him. Uh, I would hope that people would do that for me. You would hope that people would do that for you. It wouldn't be comfortable. We wouldn't enjoy it. Um, but that's what we're called to do rather than justify it or remain silent. Um, it, you know, what's interesting is the, the, so we talked about docent group. And so for guys who may say, well, they're just doing research. Uh, I, I think we know that they provide more than that. Um, we don't much uh, JD Greer is using of their material or how much Ed Litton, um, you know, if Ed Litton has used them, how much they might be using, maybe they're just using the research. Uh, we don't know that, but but what I find very interesting is Southern Baptist Theological Seminary forbids the use of docent research group, and they name it specifically. Wow, uh, it's that been I in it's been in their it's been in their documents for years. Uh, it's in their 2019 manual for the uh, uh, master the theology program, uh, masters in theology program. They name it specifically. In fact, I want to read it. So for people, especially in the Southern Baptists, who are trying to justify the use of docent group, listen to this. So this is, you know, the flagship seminary, right? Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. It says this, the SBTS integrity statement reads, integrity statement. I, insert your name, hereby affirm that the following thesis project dissertation is comprised entirely of my own original research, except where explicitly noted. To the best of my knowledge, this work does not contain, nor was it produced using any unauthorized resource resources, including but not limited to. It names a few of them. It, it gives a first one and a second one. The second one says this, not limited to the second point, third party research other than explicitly identified qualitative analysis compiled by a consultant, whether an individual or group such as but not exclusively the docent research group. You can't even use these groups. This is the standard for seminary. And we would argue, right, that the standard for what happens in the pulpit far exceeds any standard in an academic setting. Yeah. Amen. Amen and amen. Um, I, I think we've we've all learned that in the seminary, that this is not acceptable. And the fact that a newspaper article decided to run with it tells you that they saw something peculiar about that as well. Um, we, we, if, if the secular world can see it, look, general rule, if the secular world can actually see that it's sin, 
um, don't cover it up. And, and this is one of the most tragic parts of all this is, is just how much this has been covered up. Um, and, and maybe covered up is not necessarily the right, right word, but justified or excused. And the excuses that people have come up with, uh, once again, he got permission and sermons don't belong to an individual, but they belong to the kingdom and and so on and so forth. People have gone to great lengths. And you had already mentioned the Charles Spurgeon example that, oh, they're actually going into um, forefathers of the faith and saying, well, look at him. He actually plagiarized as well. And so there's they're, they're going to great lengths to try to show that this is OK. And, and I just I, I don't get that. I don't. You know, the, the justifications they're trying to come up with is in many ways even worse than, than the crime itself, um, the, the sin itself. You know, and, and there's another aspect to this, too, because I remember hearing stories of, of um, <clears throat> certain individuals who plagiarized John MacArthur's sermons. They would take um, his sermons. But in that case, that, that person was a, you know, he was working full time, um, had a full time secular job or, or at least two part time jobs or something like that. So he was very, very busy didn't have the kind of time he needed to prepare sermons for a niche group of people in, in his area. And so he would just um, preach John MacArthur's sermons. Now, I'm not excusing that. I'm not saying that that's right. But at least there, I, I can kind of understand that's not his full-time occupation. And I would have said that, hey, at least just say you're getting it from John MacArthur. I mean, that, that, mm-hmm. that was um, part of the issue there. Um, but then the other thing, too, is that, you know, and some people have said it, if you're going to plagiarize, plagiarize something that, that that's actually good, Right. So the the message, um, the message that they were preaching out of Romans one, and, and it was amazing because I remember when J.D. Greer preached this, and and I didn't know that he was preaching out of Romans one. I just heard him quote the um, "You should whisper about what the Bible whispers about" and right. shout about what the um, uh, Bible shouts about. Which, by the way, that too, that was a quote of Jen Wilkin, and he mentioned that 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 was a quote of Jen Wilkin, and then Jen Wilkin. Um, it turns out when Jen Wilkin said it, she wasn't even talking about sexual sin. And then she provided where she got that, and she got that from R.C. Sproul, and then she provided the pictures online, and when we looked at the pictures of where it came from, R.C. Sproul was talking about the literal six-day creation, Mm -hmm. um, saying that, you know, (laughs) brothers um, disagree on whether it was literal or or, or not, and then he just went on to basically make the point that whether it was literal or not is is more whispered than it is shouted about. He wasn't even talking about sin, and certainly not talking about about sexual sin. So there's there's all these excuses being made. But the first time I heard that message from J.D. Greer, I'm hearing him kind of sound like he's he's excusing homosexuality or or trying to encourage us not to talk about it, not not yeah. to call it out. And and I thought to myself, wow, you know, um, how can you say the Bible whispers about homosexuality? And the first passage that came to mind was Romans one. I'm thinking Romans one is very clear that this is not a whisper. And it was only later, after we found out that Ed Litton had um, had plagiarized his message, that they were both preaching from Romans 1. And so here's my point. We as expositors, when we preach a message, our job, <clears throat> whether we like what's in the passage or not, is to expose what the passage says. We expose what the passage says. Hopefully we like what it says. We should like what it says, because that's God's Word. But we expose what the passage says, even if it's hard to hear, even yeah. if it's hard to teach. And that's what an exposition is and what I was yeah. hearing from them. And when I was, you know, they, they were quoting people. Um, they were making these points about how um, homosexuality doesn't send you to hell. Because How do I know that? Because heterosexuality doesn't send you to heaven, which, by the way, that came from Tim Keller. And that wasn't cited as well by either of them. Um, so we know Tim Keller said that much earlier. Maybe Tim Keller got it from somewhere else. I, I have no idea. But 
the more we talk about, the more you see the issues that, that are coming yeah, out. Yeah. But in essence, this message was not an exposition of that passage, but to me, it was actually trying to conceal what that passage is seeking to reveal. They were doing the opposite, in my mind, yeah. of expository preaching, at least in that passage. Now, I get the point that homosexuality is not the only sin. There's a number of sins. Any one of them can condemn us. Um, but homosexuality is not whispered about um, in that section. So that that was the other issue that that the that the sermon that was being plagiarized was not even a faithful exposition of that passage. And then finally, I'll make this point. You know, we we're talking about this not because you know we want to put him down, not not because we have any ill will or animosity towards him, not because we're trying to make ourselves better. We certainly aren't. Um, but here's the thing: we are very zealous for the office of the pastor because the Bible is very zealous for the office of the pastor. Yeah. This is a role that Jesus Christ, uh, that, that's, that was his whole point in speaking to Peter when he asked him three times, do you love me? And, and Peter in 1 Peter 5 talks about how he's, the, uh, he's speaking to um, elders and shepherds as a fellow shepherd um, to, yeah. to faithfully oversee the flock. This is a huge calling. And Hebrews talks about the fact that how we're going to stand before God to give an account for all those souls that have been given to us. So this is a very important job. And for us, we don't want to take this lightly because when something like this comes up, we need to be able to stand up for the integrity that is demanded by this position. And, and you see the qualifications for elders, uh, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. Um, this is a crucial position. We take it with the utmost of importance. And something yeah. like this, uh, he really needs to be transparent. Yeah, and it, it comes back. It, integrity is really the issue, right? And and no matter what you think about plagiarism, or you know, if, if someone else's to quote J.D. Greer, "Bullets fit in your gun, use it." Um, w no matter what you think about that, it, there are integrity issues. And the last place you want a person struggling with these type of integrity issues is your pastor, a pastor, right? Um, that's not to say that pastors are perfect. We're not. We all mess up. But right. um, but when we mess up, what you want to see is a repentant and contrite heart, right? One that says, you know, even even a better response would have been along the lines of, you know, I just I had permission. I didn't really think about it. Um, that was unwise. Absolutely. I, I should have attributed it and, and I shouldn't have even done that. But I did. Um, please forgive me. That is something that yeah. I will not ever do moving forward. That would be a response that I think we could say, you know what, that at, at least the response is a humble uh, response. M maybe they didn't see it, but now they do see it. And so let's move forward in a good and right way. But to just defend uh, the lack of integrity with more lack of integrity really yeah. is indicative of a very deep heart issue and I just wonder, you know, and, and I grieve for his church. I truly do. And for him, I wonder how long, you know, they've been robbed of, you know, a pastor who is putting together his own material, who's praying over it, who, you know, is at times weeping over his people because he knows them. Um, it, you know, it just that's concerning. Right. And again, just like we've said several times, we're not attacking Ed Litton. But let me tell you, um, just because we're we're brothers, fellow pastors, um, it doesn't mean we ignore one another's sin. Heaven forbid yeah. we ever do that. Um, yeah. That doesn't do anything but harm the body of Christ. And so, you know, we talked about the pastor's responsibility. Let me just read 
um, 2 Timothy 2.15. And this is, I mean, some of these, this is why it's a big deal, right? Be diligent to present yourself. So this is the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy, who is set as an elder, right, in the church at Ephesus, who is supposed to be appointing other elders. Um, so young Timothy, a pastor here, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Um, I, I mean, it, it's one sentence that just unloads a, a plethora of issues in this whole sermon gate deal. First of all, how can you say that you're being diligent as a pastor if you're not even doing the bulk of your own research, right? Um, and I think it, you hit the nail on the head earlier with a lot of these big churches and and even guys who don't have big churches kind of get in this mindset of uh, we're to be the CEO rather than the shepherd. Um, it, it, you know what? That That's just not what we're called to. You're called to be diligent um, in the word of God as a, as a shepherd, as a pastor. And y- you have to make time for that. And if you don't have a time, if you don't have enough time to do your own research and to put together your um, your own work, then you know what, at the very least, this just isn't the time in your life to be a pastor. Um, and, and you can go to nuances, but let's just set all those kind of unique situations aside. But generally speaking, if week to week, you're having to just totally rely on um, large portions of other people's work to bring in rather than you doing your own work, it, it's not a time. It's not the time for you to be pastoring a church. Now, we all use other people's work, right? That's what commentaries are. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm sitting at my desk. We are finishing up the book of Jude, and I've got, you know, it looks like about 10 commentaries here that I reference every week. Um, I, we probably have a similar method of sermon prep. You know, I, I take the time to consider the passage. I jot down just some general thoughts. Normally, the thoughts I'm writing down have a lot to do with thinking through the people that are in my church and how the scripture applies to them. Um, how how it's missing in their life or how it can edify them or build them up. Um, and and then, you know, I go through, uh, still still do a plural noun preposition. I, I rarely use it, uh, which I should, but um, Dr. Biedebach might not be happy about that if he hears me. But, uh, you know, I still go through that. And, and then I go through the exegetical work. I still parse out the language and all, all that sort of thing. So, and then I consult the commentaries. And what I'm looking for is, one, is there a perspective that fits in the in the exegesis that I just overlooked? Um, I, I want to see if they came to the same general conclusion that I did. That, you know, all these things. If there are variances, I want to know why. Why is there variances? Is it an issue with the language? Is it a, you know, sometimes you find some cultural stuff uh, in, in the commentaries. There are people too, right? But uh, I'm not just copying their work. I, I'm still doing my own digging through. And this is why I think that's important. If you're doing your own research, you're constantly you're constantly doing the work of yeah. being in the word while you're doing all this. Right. You're synthesizing all this material and comparing it to the word and saying, OK, is is this, you know, what the history of the church has understood? Is this what the apostles would have understood? Yeah. And so but if you're not doing that, if someone else is doing all your research. The tendency is just to simply co- copy and include that into your sermon notes if you're doing your own sermon, um, and, and, but you really haven't done the work. And so I don't know that you can be diligently presenting yourself as a workman before God if you're not doing your own work. 
Yeah, that's. I think that's a great point. And uh, talking about sermon prep, I, I think we probably do have very similar processes. And I had a, I think it was a ten-part tweet that uh, described my sermon prep process. Phil Johnson retweeted it, saying it's um, um, essentially what he does as well. And yeah, we do. We go through the passage. Uh, we're looking at it in the original languages. We're thinking about it in context, and and understanding the context of passages is. is crucial. I mean, that's a, lar- a large reason why we went through seminary, spent all that time going through survey classes and, and just, you know, always being in the in the Word and writing up all these papers and, all, and whatnot. So we understand the context of a passage and, and where it fits within God's history of redemption. We look at the passage, we're looking at the original languages, we're looking at key words, key statements, key phrases, any kind of cultural references, anything that ties back to the Old Testament. Uh, we're, we're looking those things up. And, and as we're Digging through all these uh, resources, and and this is not even the commentaries yet. This is just you know the lexicons and the theological word books and the encyclopedias, dictionaries, and things like that. Um, we're we're getting to a point where we just want to understand what does this passage mean, and then we get to a preliminary conclusion of what it means, and then we start to look at the commentaries. We're looking at commentaries from um, first and foremost people that I trust to be faithful, but yeah. I'll pull up some commentaries from people that I know are contrarian as well. And it's exactly what you said. When you see deferring opinions, you want to be able to understand why is there a deferring opinion, and can you defend your position from the opinion that they've expressed? Um, and if not, then we need to tweak uh, what it is that we believe about that passage. So they serve as uh, as guardrails uh, in a sense, um, but also we're we've been trained enough um, exegetically and with the original languages that we can often read their explanations, and their explanations can have a lot of helpful information, and yet they come to the wrong conclusion. You know, we look at that conclusion and say, okay, I, I appreciate those data points. Um, I don't agree with the conclusion, and this is why. Yeah. We just have to be prepared to do that. And then for me, then then I start thinking, okay, now that I know, now that I'm settled on what I believe this passage is saying, why is this important to my flock? Um, why is it that they need to hear it specifically? And you mentioned the per- plural noun uh, proposition. Uh, that's basically a fancy way of just saying the purpose statement. What's what's the one yeah. sentence purpose statement um, of this uh, of this passage uh, that you're about to hear? So that's important. But another thing I want to point out, because you quoted 2 Timothy 2.15, great verse, great verse. We want to be approved by God, and we do that by rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, from the very beginning, when the church started in Acts chapter 2, what do we find in Acts chapter 2, and I think it's verse 42, when it says that the first 3,000 people that were added to the church what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, mm-hmm. um, to prayer, and the breaking of bread, those four things. And so the teaching was all important. And then you get to, I think, Acts chapter 5, when deacons are first established. Uh, why are they first established? Because you have needs amongst the widows. And and what did the apostles say? We must, uh, we, we must continue to devote ourselves to the ministry of the Word— and to prayer, and they raised up, they, they basically had deacons appointed so they can take care of these other things. And then when you get to 2 Timothy, that is written by the Apostle Paul. And you think about the yeah. Apostle Paul, I mean, you know, when he mentioned in Ephesians 4.11 that Jesus gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, you can argue that Paul was all five of those things, right? But Timothy was his successor. Timothy was the one that he was expecting to carry the torch forward and what was Paul's overriding commandment above all other commandments in that letter is in chapter two, chapter four, sorry, chapter four, verse two, when he tells Timothy, preach the word, right? Yeah. I mean, that there is no commandment in that book that receives as much emphasis as that commandment right there is to preach the word. So I would argue that preachers and teachers 
carried forth the responsibility of apostles in the in the function of teaching. So if your office is about the function of teaching, what does that say when you're actually just taking someone else's work rather than doing your own work? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think we got to get out of this mindset of um, having to be expert communicators in the sense of um, that's our primary job. Now, it's included, right? We we are communicators and you, you can't be a preacher without being a communicator. And we should seek to grow in even that, that we communicate well, that people understand us more clearly as time goes on. However, um, if that is the end goal, just that whatever it is we're saying, we're thought to be effective communicator, and you abdicate your time and study, the, the church suffers. I would rather, um, I, I mean, I, I will, there are plenty of heretics out there yeah. who, in, in all honesty, are far better communicators than I am. Uh, it, you know, they, they just, they have an oratory gifting, right? And yes. a natural ability that exceeds my own. However, um, that, that doesn't mean they're good preachers or faithful preachers. Right. In some cases, they're not even Christian, right? In, in a lot of cases, um, it, it would be better for a church to have a man who is, you know, um, a less effective oral communicator but does his own study comes to you know his own conclusions and presents a sermon that is wrought in prayer and hard work out of love for his people and love for God and he's really seeking to be faithful to second timothy i would take that um in a church over someone who just has a gifting to be a speaker and not do his own work any day right Amen and amen. Um, we want our preachers first to, to be people who are men of the word. Um, they need to be men of the word. Um, they need to be men with a heart for the flock. So that sermon needs to reflect um, their own time in the word. It needs to reflect their heart for the shepherd. And if they are lacking in any way in their oratory gift, um, and yet God has called them to that position, um, God is going to bless that work. Um, he is going to apply those words to the heart of his flock. Whereas if you're just a performer, um, if you're just a performer, it's not going to get applied. God does not bless, uh, is not going to bless that that work in the same way he, he could, um, but that's not the the pattern that we're, we're supposed to follow. Yeah. So the, the content and the integrity, the, the content of what we teach and the integrity of that process is far more important than the delivery of it. Now, that's not to say the delivery isn't important. That's not what we're saying. Right. And, and also, just to add this as, um, as a clarification to what we've been saying, when we talk about um, this passage and what it means specifically to our flock or how it applies specifically to our flock, we're not saying there are multiple versions of the truth. There is only one truth, but there are multiple applications. Right, exactly. The application, yeah, is going to differ between a, a group, a church that's here in Brawley, California, Imperial County, versus up in Alaska, versus uh, Los Angeles or San Diego or any other big city uh, across America. And so that is the job of that um, shepherd to, to know exactly how to bring that to the group that uh, that he's preaching to. Yeah, and, and a good example of that, the application and illustrations that we would use in a sermon, I mean, just use our own two congregations, right? So we are a, a new church. Uh, we just planned not too long ago. Um, I think your church is a little more established. Uh, we, we've got about 10 folks meeting with us. You know, you've got more than that. 
But you know what? When I get to the passages that are fishing references in scripture, um, I live in a fishing village. That means something different, more personal than it will likely mean in your congregation. And so you may need to use additional illustrations to help folks really understand, um, you know, what it's like. Uh, when those illustrations come up, whereas for me, um, it will touch people far more quickly generally because that's how people live in my area. Um, right. You know, right now is fishing season, so guys are out using nets, um, right? And they have a few months to make their living. And if they put a net down and the fish don't catch in it, it's their livelihood. And so when we just talk about being fishers of men and all these things, the imagery that the group here has uh, w- will be far more natural uh, than in another area. So that's what we're talking about, just as an il- illustration, right? Um, but the meanings of the text don't change, right? Just how how they're applied to people or how we help them understand the meaning, uh, illustrations we can use, and et cetera. So um, we were talking about Acts earlier. Um, if you move on in the book of Acts, and I think you referenced this, Acts 20, 28. I mean, again, um, you know, listen to... Listen to the intensity here of the language. Be on guard for yourselves. Who is he talking about? And for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Right. And so here uh, to overseers, the sh- uh, to shepherd the truth of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Um, I, you know, we have a posture of being on guard for those who we shepherd. And not only that. Um, but we're guarding the church of God, which was purchased with the blood of Christ. How, how could we approach God's church so haphazardly and carelessly knowing that he paid the ultimate price for this? Um, I, I think when we abdicate our responsibility and role as pastors uh, and overseers, we're really diminishing the value of the church of God, which Christ paid for with his own blood yeah and, and the, the the value of, of teaching and, and of teachers uh, i would argue is emphasized throughout the scriptures uh, i mean we're you know we're, we're talked you look at um especially i think of the prophetic books of uh, jeremiah and ezekiel they they talk about the shepherds who have failed their duty um you look at malachi and some of the misunderstandings that the people had about the law that was the failure of the priests who were supposed to help them understand the law and when we look at the example of Ezra, who was a good example, Ezra worked hard to not only understand the word, but also to be able to teach it in a way that they would get the sense of what it meant, even though they didn't understand the language. Um, they no longer understood Hebrew at that time. They would have understood uh, Aramaic. And so we see here in the New Testament, just like in that verse and in Second Timothy and in other parts, even in the, you just think about the, uh, the, the Great Commission. I mean, we often think about the Great Commission as being just evangelism. Well, it's discipleship that starts with evangelism, but continues on to teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And uh, parents are often exhorted to teach their children, right? And, yep. uh, and we see that example going all the way back to the Old Testament. So teaching is at the very heart of this. But you got to be able to teach based upon what you know and are learning. Otherwise, they can't really imitate you if you're not spending that uh, that time in the Word. So all this to, to say that the Word of God is crucial. The, um, the, the office that we fulfill as pastor and others who are teaching within 
the body of Christ, uh, that is a very, very important function because that is exactly how the equipping of the saints happened. So going back to Ephesians 4.11, he gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. All five of them share in common that, that proclamation gift. They're basically proclaiming or teaching. And verse 12 says it, it is for the equipping of the saints to the work of service. Mm-hmm. And so all of that is to help the church be equipped to, uh, to serve one another, but they're not following a faithful example if the person they're hearing from is not even practicing what he preaches. Yeah, well, that would mean you have a hypocrite for a pastor who's happily living in that. So that's not a good thing. Um, yeah, I and it, you know, you mentioned Hebrews earlier. Hebrews uh, thirteen talks about the fact that you know you you watch after the souls of those yeah. in your church. I, you know, how can you say you're truly watching over the souls of people if you, again if you weren't preparing your own message? And you know, I I know we've been hitting the same point over and over, but. Um, it, it's one of those things where the whole world, you know, our whole Western American society has caught wind of this thing. Um, and we need to take it very seriously. And, you know, we we're discovering that it's far more widespread than most of us have probably just taken any time to think about. Right. You know, when docent group comes out and they talk about how they have millions of people and, and, and take that with a grain of salt, right. We tend to embellish our effect, but even with that, uh, we have to ask how many pastors are getting regurgitated, prayerless, you know, workless sermons, yeah. um, w- which effectively, you know, are are meaningless. Now, we understand that God and His Holy Spirit will bless the preaching of His Word, and and He He does that despite our own inadequacies or even our own sin, right? Um, so we're not saying God. It, you can't use that as a measure of it being okay, right? Um, if right. if someone I I believe wholeheartedly, if someone were to, you know, copy Charles Spurgeon's sermons and never attribute it or make that known as his own, you would find people who you know God would God would minister to through that yeah. uh, because it's the Word of God. But that doesn't mean it's okay or it's acceptable right. uh, before God to do that. Um, so. So that's why it's a, a big issue. And again, you know, we're not um, putting Ed Litton down. I I think if we care about truth, if we love the church, if we love Ed Litton, then there needs to be pressure put on him by those around him um, to you know take some time uh, and and to to be truly demonstrate repentance, um, whatever that looks like. Uh, you know, uh, if, if it just gets washed away. Um, that's right. a really great example of sin uh, ruling in that church from the pulpit down, right? Um, yeah, and and, and the, you know this um, this episode that we're doing, as you've mentioned many times, it, the, the goal is not to put down a particular individual, make ourselves better or whatnot, but it's really to express um, our zeal and passion for how important this position is, and and why you must um, do your own work, even if uh, you know you. You think, well, the truth is the truth, and God certainly can bless the truth, however it comes across. Um, but He would be blessing it in spite of the shepherd, and not uh, through the efforts um, of those shepherd. Because once again, Paul said, "Imitate me as I imitate Christ." And uh, and Paul certainly um, did not simply just copy what Jesus Christ said, but uh, wrote through the uh, through through the superintendence of the Holy Spirit uh, many letters and gave countless number of messages. And he did cite the scriptures, uh, but also explain them so that people would uh, be able to understand them. 
And that at the end of the day, that's um, that that's our job. It's it's the when it comes to our job, and I often say that when when you, when you think about your theology, you know, theology is not simply just what you believe; it's um, how you prioritize what you believe. And in terms of the pastorate, uh, we cannot downplay the importance of being in the Word and preparing our own messages uh, for the flock. That that is our central duty. That is where the equipping comes from. Otherwise, you might as well just tell them to turn on the TV or to download sermons from a certain individual and say, hey, each Sunday, look at that and then show up to church and we'll talk and, and yeah. we'll sing and, and, and do whatever, or just, just play their sermons right there um, on the Sunday morning service on, on the, uh, the, the Jumbotron or something like that. Um, but that's, um, that, that's just not the example that we have in Scripture. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, I hope that this has blessed you. I, I hope that it causes you know uh, just us to, again— um, one, see how much of an issue we were unaware of. And so in a lot of ways, this is God's grace on the church that he's exposed this. Um, it's God's grace. I think that the uh, docent group information has come out and we see just how far widespread they're used. Um, I pray that, you know, pastors who have been doing this sort of thing will come clean, will repent, will move forward, um, you know, dedicating themselves to be faithful to the word of God and to their flock. And that, you know, for those who are members of the body attending churches, um, you know, that you'll take the mindset of holding your pastors accountable to do their own work, that it's okay. And it, and you should be doing that. Um, don't accept a pastor who is just a hireling. Right. And we're, we're not talking about whether you just have little differences of opinions and things, but um, you know, you want to be sitting under the preaching and teaching of a man who is diligently uh, doing his own sermon work from week to week. Um, that that's far more important than a canned thing that is, you know, heartless. And it is heartless if it's coming, if it was made for another congregation or just written by some professional, um, and it's being presented to you. Then, you know, that's not what you're wanting. So. Um, yeah. Any last words before we wrap up, brother? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're, you're right. It's like you said, you're taking a message intended for another congregation, but in the, in the case of docent research group, they're, they're not even the shepherds and they're not even in the congregations where these are being preached. So in some ways, in many ways, I'd say this is even far worse uh, than stealing someone else's sermon. You're taking a sermon written by a group of people who are not shepherds. They're not a part of any, any kind of congregation. And so that's the, um, that, that's the tragedy of all this. And there's a lot of tragedies um, about all this, but yeah. So th this is this is our heart. Um, we hope that Ed Litton would um, would repent, uh, would come clean. And quite honestly, my my opinion at this point is that um, in my eyes, he's disqualified yeah. um, from yep. going through all this uh, for the length of time that he's been doing it. And that's not that's not again that's not to put someone else down. That that's just to speak honestly about how important this position is and, and how we must be uh, beyond re reproach. Um, and one final thought, um, we've said this often, I, you may remember a poll that came out last year that showed that the majority of people who called themselves Christians do not believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Uh, well, that's, that's some terrible theology. Um, that's some terrible discernment, right? And, and there's a lot of lack of discernment going on in this country. We just got through watching American Gospel last Sunday, the first half of it, and, and you can see just how wayward the country is because they're following after preachers who are not at all 
um, faithful uh, to their tasks. So we have a lot of shallow discernment. Yeah. Shallow discernment comes from um, shallow theology. Shallow theology is what comes from the pulpit. And if shallow theology is coming from the pulpit, then it's because you've got a, you've got a pastor back there that's not taking his job seriously enough or is unqualified for the position. And, and this really is at the heart of, I think, what's plaguing America. And the example yeah. that we have here is unfortunately a, a, you know, one of the ways that we know this is happening. Yeah. So pray for Ed Litton. Uh, if you love him, you know, as a brother, if you know him, certainly, if you don't pray for him, pray that he would come to repentance. Um, you know, I, I agree. I think that looks like he steps down. Um, but, and, but there's restoration to be had if that, yeah. if that comes to yes. pass, that's the loving thing to pray for, pray for your pastor, you know, yes. the, your pastor that works weekend at weekend out struggling with the scriptures for, for your sake. And love the truth enough to demand that preachers and your pastor spend that time in the Word. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.